Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Thanks for listening to the Church Planter Podcast. We're here to help you go where no one else is going and do what no one else is doing to reach people no one else is reaching. Make sure to review and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast service to help us connect with more church planters. You can get show notes and links at our website, www.churchplanterpodcast.com, including discounts and opportunities from our show sponsors. Follow us on Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. Here's today's episode. I'll start. My name is Rod, and I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Church Planter Podcast. I'm Robert Frazier. I'm Tim Galley. And you are here to really, like, we believe you're here because you want to reach people no one else is reaching. And and we think that we have we have some ways to help you do that. So thanks for joining us today. Um, if you've never listened to Church Plan Podcast, this is the Wednesday edition. And myself and Tim, we love to dive into some funny stuff and some, like, just stuff we want to talk about because we live... 2700 miles away from each other and we want to catch up every week and then after that in about like 10 15 minutes we'll dive into like a topic that you actually want to hear about hopefully um and i think today is like today's a special kind of episode not just like we're not together like we were at the last episode we missed last week this is our first like gap week tim where we didn't actually have an episode so we probably need to start by saying we're sorry that we're losers and we do not care about you our listener that's I'm so sorry that Robert is a loser and he doesn't care about you, but I was ready to go. I, I would like to say that it's Tim. It's Tim's schedule is the problem. He's like, I only want to meet at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, it's okay, true. man. It's true. It's true. I know the schedule is a thing. But we have a we have a very topical and uh and I think like emotionally just special to me um topic today. So make sure to stick around or you can just fast forward 10 minutes and and get to the good stuff. All right. So, um, Tim, I want to start by just telling you a little story today. Um, my son, Isaac, as you know, is, uh, 
He's a funny kid. He loves every, it's like Comic Con every day in my house. He's yeah. just in a new character. I think one of one of our episodes, he's walked in wearing a Spider Man costume. He's he's full into Mario. He's got a red hat and he draws an M on it like in a piece of paper every Love day it. and as like i find like 50 fake mustaches rolling around my house right now every everywhere he goes <laughs> but today he comes into my office actually i will be right back hold on a second <laughs> i'll finish the story uh <laughs> today he actually came into the office oh what oh yeah. what for those of you who are listening what am I holding, Tim? He is holding a New York Yankees jersey. It's just a majestic, like this is like a fifty dollar kid jersey right here. That's amazing. Who was in the back? Uh, he comes in holding it. There's no player on the back because there's no one worth having their name on the back of that jersey. Um, he he comes in wearing that, and I go, "What's going on? Where'd that come from?" And he he's got a smirk on his face because he knows. Oh like, yeah. Like two years ago, he and his brother were on the Yankees. For their t-ball team and oh, i yeah, wouldn't, yeah, yeah. i wouldn't let them wear a yankees hat for the whole season like they got little league like yankees hats and i i actually made them burn them <laughs> and they wore they wore red Sox hats all year while the rest of their team had yankees hats and so he comes in he's smirking because he knows that that's uh that doesn't belong in my house and he says tad and payson gave it to me which is his his cousins my oh, my right, cousin's right, kids and uh and i go well what do we do with that he goes we throw it in the trash <laughs> wow what what an abusive oh, home the, hey, there's buddy. that guy hey what what do we do with this isaac are you gonna wear that proudly no what do we do with this we're gonna wear for Halloween. <laughs> We're gonna make fun of the Yankees at Halloween. I think that's that's the answer. <laughs> Isaac, <laughs> Isaac, when you wear that Yankees jersey, you are my favorite Frazier. Oh, you don't want to be a Yankees fan. That'd be the worst. <laughs> It'd be like forsaking a good birthright. All right, go to bed, knucklehead. All right. Um, so hey, that was that was my funny story, but if we're really going to talk sports, like I, I almost don't even want to enter into any sports talk. Mostly, mostly because uh, it's been the hardest week for Boston sports fans that I could imagine. Just like I, I've woken up every morning angry, just like, mm-hmm. like, just like this, that pit of like your stomach sort of rage that you think about how Jason Tatum played the night before and you just want to spit on the ground sort of thing. Are people just bereft there, Tim? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, these are the times when I jump on Boston Sports Radio so I can just listen to the callers call in. I mean, like, there is just there's lamentation. Uh, there is anger. There's fire. Everybody. And then everything else comes up. So they bring up the Patriots bad season, the Patriots bad draft, the Red Sox <laughs> not like me signing players. The Bruins collapse. Like, I mean, it just spirals. Oh, oh, and it like it is a bad moment for Boston sports. Maybe one of the worst in two decades, like in terms of all four teams. Like the Bruins had an epic meltdown. They had a his, yeah. historic season, the most wins of any team of all time, and then losing the first round. I mean, and then watching the Celtics, which this is probably the most talented Celtics team I've ever seen. Better than the the Paul Pierce era. This is the best team they've ever had since maybe 88, 87. And it is just oh, a nightmare. I'm sorry, pal. Sincerely. Uh, uh, 
It Celtics is. fans deserve better, and Bruins fans deserve better. That, that, yeah. That's much sympathy you're going to get from a, a New York sports fan like me, like me. I I had I, I appreciate that. I had I had a moment where I was thinking, could Brad Stevens come out of the stands and just like take over for Joe Mazzula? Like, yeah. there's nobody who could do worse than what's happening right now. Uh, um, did yeah, you? Sorry, have buddy. You, have you been listening to the Monday podcast with Peyton and Pete at all? Um, a couple times. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. They they never talk sports. Like neither of them are sports guys, but they were talking sports for a few minutes, and uh, I'd like to think that we're rubbing off on them just a little bit. I, I'd like to think that too. I'd like to think that too. I'm I'm hoping. Well, they're both from Southern California, so they don't have any like real sports teams to talk about, and they're not like no one's a real fan in California. Like let's be clear. And I don't think anyone's actually from Southern California. <laughs> no, these. These guys are. They, they they're are like they're, I think they're actually from like which is that's strange in itself being from Southern California. It just means that you're born without a soul. I think is like the <laughs> <laughs> your parents surf too much to actually like you know develop their character enough to like give you a soul sort of thing. No, good for them. If they're from there, they're from there. That's well done. Well done. Well, what's on your mind, man? What have you been What have you been doing this week? So yesterday I participated in an ordination service uh, for, for a dear friend. Oh, fun. Um, and um, yeah, I really like this guy and just, I, was, I got to be part of the council. They, they asked me to kind of like do the opening um, and, you know, the introduction, like kind of warm up the room, you know, and, and then give like a prayer. Um, and then they, they, they had told me like, Hey, give, give people a sense of like what the service is going to be. And I, I was, I, I realized when his family arrived um, and then as people were coming into the sanctuary, there are very few of these people that had ever been to an ordination service before. Yeah. Um, most people don't ever go to one in their life. Like it's, yeah. it's a rarity. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, this may be your first and only one. So like, I, I just came up with like a spontaneous, like stand up bit. Um, you know, like first we'll have like the feats of strength and then the hands <laughs> of weakness. And then we'll have the mother-in-law. And the mother of, of the ordained <laughs> doing a rap battle, like eight mile style. <laughs> He's great. Um, mm, that's good. And everybody likes this guy like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so like he he's he's easy to like to tease, but like everybody loves him. And like I made this like this other joke about like like you know he, he's a type. Everybody loves this guy. He's never gonna get fired. Like he he could like slash the tires of the senior pastor's car, and the senior pastor would just like walk out and be like, you know what? I I kind of wanted new tires anyway. Oh, gee, buddy. Yeah, that's 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 a well laid out joke. Nice nice work. <laughs> well, the and and I said you can test it. Um, you know there there is a yellow, um, there's a yellow Volkswagen Beetle that that you can destroy. Uh, which is not the senior pastor's car. That's it's my supervisor's car. <laughs> so, so this thing just got better and better. It's like all kinds, of, and and I do feel like it's kind of like the roast. You know, like when you, you know, like like yeah. the way that they do roasts. Like if you say enough funny things, um, and even even like you know just touch and go mean things, to, you know, but in the name of like love, then you can actually say nice things. And yeah, it's like you things. have to do that so that you can say nice things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that was fun. Um, but beyond, you know, the, the, you know, the, um, the, the jovial nature of it, um, I hadn't been to an ordination service since before COVID. 
Uh-huh. It's been a long time. And, uh-huh. you know, I'm feeling like this, this, this clergy shortage. Um, I'm feeling, you know, fewer people going to seminary, fewer people graduating from seminary, fewer people getting ordained, fewer uh-huh. people entering into the ministry. Uh, so it, it felt really sweet and, and rare and wonderful. And I, I was just encouraged um, by that. And hopefully what, what, what might transpire, you know, in, in coming years. You know, like 10 years ago, I would have tried to tease somebody into like reconsidering ministry. Like, you know, I just was said, are you sure? It's kind of, it's kind of a terrible gig. Um, but now I don't even make those jokes because we need them so bad. <laughs> I yeah. don't even care if they're called. I'm just like, listen, if you, if you're willing to do this, man, jump on board. We need we'll, you. We'll worry about that later. Calling. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out the calling <laughs> and the gifting later. We just need you to sign up. It's like the army, like during a war, they're like, oh, flat heels, bad eyesight. We, we could fix Perfect. that. <laughs> We could use somebody like you. <laughs> you know what? You'd be just right for this megachurch's online ministry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can be our digital chaplain. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that was on my mind. Um, yeah. Good mm. stuff. Yeah. Do I look as... Go ahead, go ahead. Do I look as sunburned as I feel on, on camera? You look great, buddy. Okay. I was... <laughs> no, I don't see any sunburn. I had like a a full full ninety minute soccer game with no subs yesterday, in like ninety degree heat, and so my I'm just like burned up. Hey, buddy. Great day. Hey, go to bed, pal. Okay, daddy, I love you, daddy. That that's my little buddy Isaac. He actually has he has his own podcast. It's the Marvel Superhero. Have we talked about that on the show yet? Not on the show. You told me when you when you visited my house. This is amazing. Dude, he's got he's got like 50 listeners, which I swear to Jesus is more than the people who listen to my <laughs> sermons every week. <laughs> and and like I have there's a couple of adults who do like deep cut quotes of my five-year-old's Marvel podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe number one, you listen to it. And number two, you memorize the line from it. <laughs> Just absurd. Has he has he seen Guardians of, Ga- of the Galaxy three? No, uh, the, well, honestly, we haven't even let him watch one. They're just a little bit older, like than yeah, the that's other. That's true. Like Marvel, we've kind of waited on the Guardians. He's watched all the Spider Man. He's he's losing his mind about um, across the Spider Verse in yeah. ten days. He just is. He's been waiting three years, man. Guy's just hyped. I'm looking forward to that too. I, I was surprised how good the first one was. Honestly, probably my favorite animated movie, period. Mm. Like, if mm. I had to choose one, it's maybe the best. That's pretty good. What All would right. you put it? What would you put ahead of it? Let's let's rank animated features, not um, not including Pixar, not including Pixar. Because I was just gonna say, um, you know, Inside Out is, it, is that what it's called? Inside Out. Inside Out. I'm yeah, but I um, like. I really like that one a lot. Yeah, if you go to 3D animation, I could go there. Maybe Toy Story 3 as well. But that's about it. It's right up there. I mean, like, like the first the Lion King, I mean, like, that was that was pretty impressive. Impressive. To get a teenager to feel. Yeah. Like it was pretty good. But, like, I mean, Lion King is, like, the oldest story in the book. I mean, it was just classic hero's journey. No, no, no new space. 
in Lion King. I feel like the the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse was like really new space, like in terms of both superhero movie and mm. animated feature. I don't know. I, I thought it was no, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And I, I've probably seen it 200 times. So <laughs> I think Isaac watched it every day of the year. He was three. Love it. Yeah. All right, Tim, I think it's time, man. Should we get to this week's topic? Yeah, well, before we do, I, I want to ask you a question. I mean, you ever like just look at your own church website and just like absolutely just hate it? Um, uh, actually, I was I was pulling it up in front of people this week and something didn't work on it. So yeah, I, I have filmed that. <laughs> well, I got good news for you. Oh, good. We have a great sponsor called churchwebbuilder.io and it is built for church planters. It's simple and easy to update. It comes with an incredible database for your contacts and communications platforms for email and text messaging. You could do a two-week free trial today by going to churchwebbuilder.io. Hey, that sounds great, man. I'm I we use churchwebbuilder.io actually for several of our sites, including churchplanterpodcast.com. So nice. yeah, man, it's it is actually phenomenal. So uh, thank you to our sponsors. Thank All you, right, you. you know what they they do? They used to have a little uh, little uh, like a sound clip that was from uh, Back to the Future. That was great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so here we are. This week's topic, Tim. What are we doing today, man? Well, we're taking uh, a, a break in our normal uh, church planting um content and we're we're changing our plans that we had set for this week um because as most of our listeners would know uh the great and wonderful pastor tim keller has passed away over the weekend and so we wanted to spend some time uh remembering him honoring him um maybe, maybe just sharing a bit of what he has meant to to us and uh and hopefully create some space uh, for our listeners uh, just to think about him and and how his ministry has impacted them. Yeah, man. Well, let's let's start with you. Like, what what were you feeling when you got the news? Was it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Sunday? Right. Um, he passed Friday morning. Friday morning. Okay. Um, so I, I'm on Twitter, um, reluctantly, and I had I had seen the updates, uh, that he was being released from like from the hospital and going to hospice care mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and then another thread that was not from the family, just sheer speculation from, from something else. Um, it seems like he had a little bit of time. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I read that or just, I had that in my head. So, so the next day when I, when I read the news that he had passed, um, you know, I, it's hospice. So it's, it's, it's obviously very eminent and, and, and coming soon, but I, I just didn't expect it to be like 24 hours from since I saw that last tweet type of thing. So I, I was stunned for a second. Um, and, and I, you know, we, we know that he's been fighting pancreatic cancer for the last, you know, two and a half, three years. So, um, that, that's a, that's a really hard diagnosis. So it wasn't it wasn't surprising. It's just still sad. It's just still sad. So I, I felt that. Um, and you then know, I, yeah, I'd like I think what surprised me as it came out, everybody knew he was close. We we'd all been kind of preparing for it. I think on some level, those who knew, 
Um, and pancreatic cancer is almost nearly a death sentence just because of its severity. But what I, what I thought immediately was just a sense of grief and longing for more of him. Like there, like I, I just felt like this sadness over what could have been in terms of his voice has been so valuable. I, I just felt yeah. grief, like immediately the, just a sadness that, you know, I've, I think I've shaken his hand twice in like a passing kind of moment, you know, like yeah. at a conference sort of thing, never had any extended contact with him, but it just, I just felt sadness immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. I, so when, when anytime like, you know, a celebrity passes or, or anything like, you know, culturally happens, like, you know, there's like, the, there's this temptation to, you know, like, this was my favorite actor. This was my favorite musician. This is my favorite theologian, pastor, <laughs> Christian. Uh, yeah. It's like the overstatements are just yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always like to avoid that. Um, the, the truth is I really liked Tim Keller a lot. I, I really did. I, I, I think my library would, would point out that I have 80% of all his books, mm-hmm. uh, read most of them <laughs> um, shook his hand also probably twice um yeah and he would just see him around I, I live in the northeast every now and then he'd come up here every now and then i would see him like at a you know at a, at a new york event um mm-hmm. I, I probably saw him a few more times now when i was living in north jersey because because they, they were always just doing something and, and i think that's like when when i first started like appreciating like there was like this thoughtful influential pastor in manhattan like in that in the early 2000s and i was living near philadelphia in the suburbs there um after 9-11 and i think that's the first time i really heard about keller was post 9-11 and yeah. you know people have talked about you know how how he was just so good for the city of new york um in such a needed time and i think that i think that you know that just uh, had a ripple effect, you know, throughout the country. And I think I was one of those ripples. Do you remember the first time you heard of Tim Keller? You know, I, I think I saw, I saw something early online, you know, when YouTube and Facebook were kind of hidden 07, 08, I had somebody shared a video. And I think that was the first time I like engaged with him as a, I think it was like a Veritas forum sort of thing. Yeah. Like one of those Harvard college Veritas forums. I'd been, I was in college ministry. So like he he spoke to the sorts of concerns we would we would deal with with students and then the reason for god was i mean this truly seminal work he he took like for those of you who have who've kind of followed new testament studies and have followed apologetics he didn't he didn't start um he started with empathy and with the questions that his listeners were struggling with and engaged with them in a way that was deep and robust and thoughtful and really took their concerns and said, the questions you have are completely valid. And if they're not answered, you shouldn't, you shouldn't choose God. If you can't find viable ways to deal with these questions, the questions of um, theodicy, the questions of evolution, the questions of, just existence and you know all the all of the the ways that our mind struggles to wrap itself around our, our being here and and understanding the nature of god and the veil of ignorance that overwhelms like our human condition like the way that he dealt with that was to go head straight towards it 
um, where, you know, those of us who grew up in the, the earlier eras of apologetics, <clears throat> like, you know, guys who I respect too, like guys like Josh McDowell, they would, they would overwhelm you with facts without giving you context and without honestly dealing with your questions. They would treat your questions like something to be dealt with rather than something to struggle through and to, and to honestly engage with. And um, when I read reason for God, it, I was like, I was one of those early deconstructionists. I had had my church yes. wounds early on yes. in life. We've talked about that. And so I was, I was asking those real questions in my early twenties as a young missionary to teenagers trying to figure out, do I really believe this? And if I do, what does it mean? And what, what parts of it do I receive and what parts of it do I reject? Like, like, is there a way for me to get through this and make sense of it and the cultural reality I'm in? And the reason for God, I'd, I'd say fundamentally kept me close to Jesus and took all of what I think happened in, in the early late eighties, early nineties in, in new Testament studies that honestly dealt with Jesus as a historic character, what N.T. Wright did and Sanders did. And those guys who like created all this space for historic Jesus studies that treated him as a, as a thoughtful character, and then created all this space to believe in Jesus and the res resurrection and to treat his disciples like, um, an important part of the historic record. Like, I feel like Tim Keller took all of that and brought it in front of us. And, and in a lot of ways, I'd say like the people Tim Keller introduced me to are the intellectuals who have shaped me. Hmm. Like, I feel like he brought me to voices that I wouldn't have gotten to if he hadn't said, Hey, hmm. I was reading Luke Ferry about like this introduction to Western thought and like, honestly, that took me down a rabbit trail that really opened up some, some avenues for me to understand Western critique. And like, you know, he, he was engaging with guys like Thomas Kuhn and the structure of scientific revolutions and thinking about the ways that we think and the ways that society changes the way that we think. And I, I just always appreciated that he was taking the, the communication and philosophy theory stuff and engaging with it honestly and making it make sense in terms of my faith, which as an undergrad, I couldn't do. But then as I got older, it's like Tim, Tim was my guide in those ways. Mm -hmm. So man, in some ways he's just been vital, <laughs> vital to my faith. Yeah. He, he's had that gift apparently, you know, all throughout his life as, as somebody who could understand difficult concepts and make them understandable uh, to whoever he's in front of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, so he, you know, he, as you know, he attended Gordon Conwell seminary, Yeah, uh, I guess in the seventies. Go, go Gordon Conwell. Woo. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's these stories that, that circulate that, uh, you know, he would engage very thoughtfully with the professors in, in, in class. And, you know, it, it was very apparent, apparent that he just had a gift, um, for, you know, th for theology. And, and then like, you know, as, as the class would end, uh, like late at night in the, you know, in the dorms, like he, he would almost hold his own class uh, in, in both like responding to the professor, but, but also like answering questions that the students ha had that the, you know, they didn't feel comfortable asking in class. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure some of these stories have become like legend. So I, those are I, apocryphal. You know, I, I'm sure. I, I, yeah. I, 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 totally, I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it it is, 
you, you can really see it like just very easily. Like, like I've seen him at Veritas forums. I, I've heard his mm-hmm. podcast from his sermons. I've seen him at, you know, at, you know, at various conferences, you know, over the years. Um, it, it's very easy to see how he, he, this gift that he had to explain whatever it was to the people that he was actually in front of. Um, and there's just different levels and tiers to that. Uh, not, very few people can do that. Very few people. No, certainly. And you and I, you and I talked a little bit about it, but um, Tim Keller, like from a theological like standpoint, um, he's, he's a conservative complementarian Presbyterian. And he, you know, he, he is the, in some ways, both the, the golden boy of the PCA and also the bad boy of the PCA (laughs) where he's like, you know, he's respected by everybody. So everybody wants to say they know him. And at the same time, you know, some of the Southern PCA folks get, get ruffled, their feathers get ruffled when he talks about, you know, race and justice. So like, I've loved that about him, but you and you and I are not like the gospel coalition, you like cheerleaders like we neither of us are particularly reformed in the in the big r kind of way um i think the power of tim keller was even when you disagreed with him you felt like there was space in the conversation to engage and even even when you disagreed with him i, I love the stories of city to city that are these radical radical kinds of efforts for ecumenism in in church planting which I, I don't know if you realize this. We we've we do ecumenical church planting, like across denominational church planting in our city. We just celebrated 70 church plants over the last six years across, you know, about 10 or 12 different kind of backgrounds and denominations. Mm-hmm. But City City has planted hundreds of churches where you've got Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, Holiness, uh, Wesleyan, Methodist, Baptist. Presbyterians coming together and training, equipping, and sending church planters in the city. And that takes a particularly um, adept mind to be able to hold a coalition together like that, which like when you really get down to it is stunning that he was able to like sit in this middle space that was respected, but also he took, he took barbs from both sides of those, those equations at times. Yeah. I have two thoughts there every there's so many different groups of people that claim him right so like mm-hmm. you mentioned the presbyterians um church planters love him uh traditional folks tra- traditional you know reformed theology folks you know love him um you know I, i'm i'm in that non-denominational world you know and and my colleagues you know have have obviously embraced him uh, you know, the New Yorker, the New Yorker wrote an obituary about him, like New York obituary. Yeah. 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 It was fantastic. You know, ev- everybody respects him. And, when, and he was a columnist turn, in the times too, right? Like he did like a, a periodical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm overstating everybody loves him because, because on, you know, one of the things that's coming back, you know, through Twitter, when, which is a God forsaken place. It truly uh, is. Yeah, Elon yeah. Musk owns it. You know it's the end. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just keeps getting worse and worse. How can we make this worse? I know. Uh, but like, you know, he's he's accused like even like on you know like just the day or days after he has died. Like you know, there's there's you know these you know and they see themselves as very thoughtful Christians who 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 have accused him of being a centrist. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I've I've please, thought of, please accuse me of that. Let people accuse me of being a centrist <laughs> if they do. Well, I, you know, I, I've thought about that because because you know, in one case, one of these people, you know, is my friend, and and we've and I'm sure he sees me as, you know, not in the Keller sense, but like as as a centrist in you know in this mm-hmm. in this vein. And I, I'm I'm all for nuance, but but what I what I saw from Keller was was this this desire to listen to the other point of view because when you listen then you have the you have the opportunity to show love mm-hmm. and in in the sense of like you know like the gospel life you know as you like to call it you know we, we want to love our neighbor and we want to love our enemy and if you, if you can show love to your ideological enemy th- that is a huge heart a huge part of the gospel and that's not you know that that part of these whatever centrism you know accusation part gets really frustrating because because then it starts mm-hmm. to feel like if you don't agree exclusively with me and my points of view then you're a you know whatever whatever it is centrist or racist or you know whatever it is and i don't know those are big words to throw around if i don't agree with you so mm-hmm. i was very much for the listening uh, for the desire for conversation so we can hear one another, so we can understand one another, and so we can continue the conversation with one another. And I thought Keller did an extraordinary job at that. Yeah, well, and I think that he he was a centrist and a moderate in some really important ways Yeah, in that he, he didn't allow um, the expectations of of his fans to push him in a direction that they demanded. And he didn't let culture push him in the way that they demanded. Yeah, but at times they were both deeply pleased with him, and at times they were both deeply disturbed by him. And primarily, he he was, you know, he held he held fast on some things that he thought were incredibly important and orthodox. Primarily around traditional views of marriage, mm. um, and and also even like roles of women and this complementarianism. I I don't agree with that, but I like he he held to it. That is a strong belief. And at the same time was a strong voice for racial justice and economic justice, which for, for some people who really believe that their, their economic conservatism is a biblical value, that's a threat to the, the American way, not, not even just their theology, but is a, is a threat to their, their understanding of who we are as a people. And I just I love that he he said, you know what, I'm just I'm gonna follow the Jesus way and it's gonna look sometimes liberal and sometimes conservative, but it's really this kingdom third kind of way. Um and I I hope that that's that's how people view me. I I I, I would love to be someone who's viewed with the sort of wisdom yes. and winsomeness of Tim Keller, who's known as someone who loved the world, truly loved the people around me. And at the same time, spoke truth to both my right and my left and said, come follow me as I follow Jesus. And I, you know, I, I think that Tim was, it was really interesting watching him um, and George Verwer and, and some of these guys who, who are passing in, in, in this era, watching them like with real joy enter into their their eternal reward, which is the presence of God, un unmitigated, un um, unmediated by 
our human bodies that just get yeah. to enter into his presence. And it was, you could see in, in Tim's last words that he's ready to, to belong to God, yeah. that there was no trepidation and that his, his faith held strong as he just waited to see his Lord. That, that gives me a lot of hope, you know, as somebody who follows Jesus to say the end doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be full of fear. It could be full of joy. Yeah. There's no downside in death. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's, that's a, a really blunt yet powerful way of putting it. I read you know, something that he had written this week about dead bodies of followers of Jesus are just all, all you can do is plant them in the ground and watch them grow up in resurrection into something they were truly made to be. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's death is a planting rather than an end. It's the beginning of the kingdom life in the new, the new resurrection which I think is just a beautiful way of seeing it. Mm. I'm curious, um, among amongst the takeaways that that you've listed, um, in for for your congregation and and for the people that you encounter, is there a particular teaching of Keller uh, that you think you want to live out in front of them, or that you want to teach uh, the people in front of you? Either one. You know, I was this morning, um, I watched the last video that he made for the Redeemer um, Network. Yeah. And if I, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for that, because I think it's it's moving to watch to watch him speak. Um, and as I was watching it, I was I was struck by two things in there. The, the first is I. I think he genuinely believed, as he said, that uh, three congregations of 800 that are focused on neighborhoods are better than one massive congregation of 2,400. I think he believed it, and I think it's true. And I think that the networked church through deep relationship in in places is is a kingdom value that... You know, I, I lead a microchurch network, and that's yeah. I fundamentally believe that's true. And I think that that was a, a sort of a, a confirmation that I'm I'm heading in that right direction. But the second thing that I was thinking about is that um, our Sunday, our large gatherings are really focused on training. We talk about the Jesus-shaped life, and um, I'm trying to win people over to Christ week in and week out, but, but more people who are very warm to Christ. And I don't think that I speak to those who are far from God. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the way that I think about my audience because of because of the shape of our community and um, where we do mission is on the edges, not in the center. And so Sundays is less proclamation. But what I was struck by is I, I'm not doing a great job at making a case for the gospel being the hope of the world. I, I, I'm not, I'm not building an audience of seekers and helping them discover God. And I think that I'm actually, I'm uniquely called and gifted to be an evangelist. And I think that God is reactivating that in this next season. And I'm, mm. I'm wondering how, how I can shape my ministry to make sure that I'm engaging with a lot of non-believers and finding ways to talk about the important stuff and help them find those on roads to work through their problems and questions. This last week I talked about unanswered prayers and I got to really like dive into theodicy and create space for people. And it felt like this, 
okay, this, this is what I'm meant to do. And I'm, I don't know, it stirred in me thinking about Tim and how he, how he did that uniquely that I want, I want to cultivate that, you know? I love that. What about you? As you, as you've been thinking about him, what would you want the people of Grace Chapel to, to take away? The one that comes most to mind um, in that I've, I've talked about these things, but I, I think I want to lean into it more and more uh, in the coming, in the coming season is, is how he would confront idols uh, uh, or that the counterfeit gods book, you know, that, that he had so many years ago. And, you know, like the, I, I think up until then, like I just saw idols or the word idolatry as like this, you know, archaic, you know, thing. And I probably had heard some thoughtful articulations of it prior, but it didn't stick. And when when Keller would just describe like the type of modern idols uh, mm-hmm. that, that you know that we have just you know collected and fallen for and been and been seduced by, like it it really gripped me. Materialism and greed and selfishness. Because up until then, like the idols, you know, that I'd heard about you know were sex, drugs, and rock and roll type of you know old school idols. And yeah, the ones that the world's had, not the ones that the church had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, and and then you know, this whole idea just starts to you know get on you, and you're you know, you start wrestling with like the idol of success, the idol of achievement. These are positive, good words. How can they be uh-huh. idolatrous? And anything, anything that hinders us uh, from growing closer and closer to Jesus is idolatrous. Um, so, so the idea then of of recognizing your idols and then confronting your idols and then you know with God's grace con- overcoming your idols uh, and then to you know to to confess that and to repent of that uh, and to free yourself from that like like that that is that that is wisdom for the modern world that that I would like to echo and 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 communicate. Mm. One other piece, and I'd like love to encourage people to to pick this book up as well. Um, no one, no one I know, uh, most people I know <laughs> don't think of themselves as a complete preacher. And just about most preachers I know at some point, like the bottom falls out of their preaching. And that happened to me years ago where I was like, I don't even know if, if I know anything about preaching anymore. You know, it was, it was <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. all upside down and Keller's book on preaching helped me get my, my feet back on the ground. That was, that was one of the things I, I feel like God had used and, you know, a Christ-centered preaching, but, but, but also one that was connected to our culture and, and accessible to our culture. Yeah. So if anyone's out there, just, you know, just frustrated with their preaching or just feel that there's, there's, there's a new, you know, step for them to grow into. I'd, I'd highly recommend that book. It is well worth your reading this summer. Yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think his preaching is an interesting topic um because he's he's not a he's not a dynamic preacher right. like when it comes to his delivery when it comes to even even his structure in terms of like he's he's not a simple preacher he's not a short preacher um he he's not he's not emotional in his preaching he he rarely has a moment that's like that that gripping story and you, you in the presbyterian church you're not you're not going to hear like classical music well up as you know as he's crescendoing um and i you know i i went to i i, I took my preaching classes from Haddon Robinson who was this lion of a preacher just yeah. 
brought it like in a way that very few do. But watching Tim Keller, what you realized was that you could find a preaching style that fits you and connects deeply with people when you serve them. And it, it felt like what you saw with his preaching was he was he was working through your questions and he was creating all of these ways for you to see it in a new way. And you could tell, even though he was much, much smarter than you, and he, he had read much, much more than you, that he was going to, with curiosity, enter in to where you're at and help you discover something you hadn't seen before. Yeah. Um, so, so there's something about his preaching that is truly phenomenal. This at, And at the same time, just truly ordinary. Um, and, and he created this space as a preacher that was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a set them up and knock them down kind of preaching, you know, in, in like every single one of his sermons was, well, the world says this, you experience this, but I got good news for you. Yeah. <laughs> the kingdom of God brings life. And he would just walk. It was just the same way Jesus said, as you've heard it said many times, but I tell you. And then would let you into the kingdom through this new way of seeing. That's what it felt like Tim Keller was doing time and time again. And I think that's a pretty simple formula that still works. People are looking for someone to ask their question in, in the most relevant way and then help them work through it. And most of the time I'm asking my questions instead of their questions. Yeah. And, and that's that's my preaching, my bad preaching habit, you know, coming to life. We're all in process. Well, I, I, I'd be, you know, we're getting a little... We're getting a little long here, but I, I did want to touch real quick on, there's two things I want to talk about, about Tim Keller and church planting, because I think that church planting is obviously what we're talking about in the Church Planner podcast, but Tim Keller cared a ton about church planting. Yeah. He believed that it was the center of renewal and movement of the church, and he invested lots and lots of his time into pouring into church planters. So I I think it'd be foolish for us to just... You know, just talk about the great preacher he was and the cultural space he created. Because all those things, we could probably have another couple episodes on Tim Keller. And maybe we will someday. Um, but I, I did want to talk about two things. The first is, I love that Tim Keller did not plant Redeemer until he was 40. He was 40 years old when he planted Redeemer. And I think a lot of us believe that you've got to be between 30 and 40 and you've got to you know, have all this energy and you've got to be this um, really a young person to do church planting. But when you start at 40, you think differently. He had had a successful ministry in Virginia. He had been a professor. He he had been in a small town in the in a coal mining, you know, region of Virginia and had learned to preach to people who didn't have their PhDs <laughs> in homiletics or whatever. Um, so like there's, there's so much to say about like how he planted was different because he was, because he was mature. And I've, I don't know, I've seen, I've seen kind of two type two types of older church planners. There's the know-it-all church planners. There's been like, I've seen three of them and actually all three have failed in our city. They were in their late forties and early fifties and they came in and they knew exactly what they were going to do because they had seen it work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And they came in with a sort of, uh, arrogance about, I know what this city needs and I'm going to give it to them come hell or high water. And I'd say for the most part, those church planners didn't make it because they couldn't flex. They had some vision that was so strong. But when you look at Tim Keller, he, when he started planting, he let the city be his, be his teacher. 
he didn't he didn't know New York City and so he worked hard to get to know it by by listening to the people and finding out what their lives were like and and really you know he, he talks about in Center Church how he would meet four or five people a week those first few years and have coffee or lunch with them and find out about their lives and then give them a little bit of the kingdom as they were meeting yeah and I think I think that listening that listening was so important um and Tim, like what, what strikes you when you think about Tim as a church planner and, and what he did in New York, that you, you were close to it there in North Jersey. Yeah. I love that he, he would empower other people to start churches that, that he could not start. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing like, you know, this, this doctorate project on generational leadership and, you know, over and over, I, I just see the importance of, you know, those in the older generational cohorts. Yeah, it's great if you got great wisdom to pass on. But like, if you have power that, that could be utilized for others to oh. to start something, to create something, um, especially the things that you can't do to reach the people that you can't reach. How many times have you said that, my friend? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So when he so when he creates like you know the city network, you know that that that's a gift to the kingdom, and I I love I love how that works. How how a person like that who could just build his own empire, and you've seen that with you know countless other you know church leaders, uh, to use his collateral, to use his influence, uh, to help others uh, start mm. their own thing. I, I just absolutely love that. Well, yeah, and I, I think he he was a, an early voice to say that we can plant churches that don't look like us and sound like us. Yeah. Because in the in the last generation, those who jumped onto the multi-site bandwagon was really those saying, we need to create more of us. We need to find a way to to McDonaldize and to systematize this great product that we've created. We don't have enough room in this building, so we're just going to franchise this thing out. But a lot of guys very very few guys actually said you know what i think that it's better if i find a way to empower somebody else in that space who looks different and sounds different and, yeah. you know is different and gives them money and platform and sends people with them like that that takes a secure leader who says i'm not going to try to control the outcome on the other end even denominations and networks work that same way where they they're going to demand this very clear theological position, this very clear social position, this very clear ministry um, sort of setup. And networks really allow for this sort of open sourced, you know, uh, open handedness to say, we're going to trust that God's going to work in that place different than he works with us. And we're going to we're going to walk alongside people who don't agree with us because we believe that God works in different ways in different places. And Tim got a lot of grief for that. You know, it wasn't always uh, he doesn't get respect from everybody because people thought that, you know, even even from the Gospel Coalition guys, they would be frustrated that he, you know, helped people who looked very different than them, who weren't as reformed as them, who didn't have the same social values as them. But man, the sort of kingdom impact that has is incalculable. Mm. I'm not even sure that's a word. I'm I'm actually thinking that. Uh, Steve Carell used on the office is incalculable word. <laughs> I don't know. I would have opted for immeasurable. 
Immeasurable. I say I like that. Immeasurable. There we go. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is those those of you who who have church planted and were were probably in seminary. My guess is you read Center Church, and Jim Tim, you have Center Church. Did you read Center Church? I'm looking right at it. I'm looking. Right <laughs> at it. I, I, just, I can go get it right here. I'm looking right at it. <laughs> I want to see the notes in the in the margin to see if you read it. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, it is a tome. It's probably the, like the longest church planting uh, oh, yeah. book, just, even longer than pl- Church Plantology by Peyton Jones. Cha-ching. He knows he's he's written a great book. But Center Church is really a – if you're thinking about urban ministry and you have not read it yet, or if you have not – if you haven't really walked through a robust training that's helped you think through start to finish the work of building a team, putting together your your polity, working through the questions of your theology, uh, putting together your bylaws all the way to how are you going to reach lost people and how are you going to preach to them and how are you going to organize your 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 church organization? It's one of the best in terms of its overall picture, but the best part about it is that it's asking the whole time, what does it look like to be gospel-centered? How do we put the gospel at the center? How do we put Jesus at the center and let that shape every part of our church plan? So I'd I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, and it's a tome, and it's gonna it's gonna demand more of you than most books will. But it's it's also has this uh, when you work your way through it, you're gonna get the gift that it brings, which is you're going to receive the wisdom of the years of Tim Keller's work and also a little glimpse into the life and ministry of Redeemer and learn from it. If if you're planting a church, which probably 75% are in, in a city, 75% of you are going to plant in a city because that's where people are. And so when you're going into a city, you have to think differently. And I, I, I hope that you're able to read Center Church and God bless the Keller family. And we're praying for them in this time of loss. God bless the Redeemer family as they are thinking about what's next for the network and um, what God's doing there. And I, I for one, am going to continue to uh, to be just a little sad about Tim Keller being gone. It feels like we, I told Tim Galley earlier that it feels like we just missed out on some of his best years. Like it feels like there was more coming and we're like, there's a grief of what could have been. Yeah. You know what I mean? So tonight we're going to pour one out for our homie. <laughs> Which, which is what Tim would have wanted. <laughs> I mean, I, he probably drank green tea, so yeah, he probably did. So, <laughs> to drink green tea, in honor. <laughs> in honor. I love it. I love it. Well, anything else you want to add here at the end, Tim? No, just just blessings to all of you who are listening. Uh, as as we continue the work of the kingdom of God, uh, we we all get to share in this, and that that's a beautiful thing, and we. We need to depend on the Lord for strength, for wisdom, for courage. And those are all many of the qualities that, that the great Tim Keller had exhibited. But he relied on the grace and the spirit of Jesus to do it. So Amen. we continue in that same way. Well, friends, we uh, we will try to not miss another week. Uh, Tim and I are real excited about what we're going to do next. We're going to talk about burnout. We're going to talk about our identities as church planters and and how to work through some of the temptations that come with that. So don't miss the next couple of weeks as we hit those topics. Remember, if you want to reach the people no one else is reaching, you've got to go where no one else is do- going and do what no one else is doing. See you later, church planter.